Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jacob Scrimshaw and I'm the Discipleship Pastor here at Rolling Hills. In today's message, you'll hear from Pastor Chase as he teaches from 1 John 3, Our God is Love. And in today's podcast, you're going to hear all about the great love of our Father and how that translates to our own lives. Now let's hear from Pastor Chase. Hey guys, good morning. My name is Chase Baker. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills, which means I serve on a team that that, uh, represents preschool through high school. And so I work with parents a lot, but I'm so thankful to be here today. And what I thought I would do to begin our morning is is I want you to know a a family update. Maybe for some of you, your guests, you're just visiting, you don't know much about my family. I wanna introduce you to my family. But for those who who may know me, um, I'm gonna give you a family update. Is that okay? So let me show you a picture of my family. It's right up here on the screen. This is my, right here, my wife, Courtney, we've been married for 15 years, almost 16 in May. And, and the, the girl in the yellow skirt or yellow dress is Kit. She had her fifth birthday this weekend. We got to celebrate her big. So she's five, yeah, love her. And, and, and this is the little one, her name is Ellis. This is our COVID baby. <laughs> so there's no other year where you can go throughout your pregnancy, you can have your baby and nobody have a clue. And that's what we did, that's what we did last year. We weren't on social media. So let me introduce you to Ellis. So that's Ellis. And as a family pastor, I've actually um, just celebrated my 10 year anniversary here at Rolling Hills, which I'm so thankful to be able to serve our family, church family in this way. Um, And and so that's why I did it. So y'all would clap for me. That makes me feel better about myself. Uh, So today, we are gonna take a look, we're gonna continue our series, A Beautiful Life, as we take a look at one of the letters that that John, the the disciple John wrote, 1 John chapter three is where we're gonna land. So if you need to know where that is, uh, Revelation is at the end of the Bible, the last book, just go back a few books, and there you'll find 1 John. So that's where we're gonna start today. I love this. Today, uh, we're gonna celebrate some graduating seniors. That's gonna be awesome. Today, I'm gonna also cast some family ministry vision for you and what we believe to be true in, in the life of the church when it comes to our kids and our families. But I'm also, I'm excited to teach this text in 1 John chapter three as the apostle, the disciple John writes a letter to the early church. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, my prayer is always this, that we are forever changed by your words. Your words are living, they're active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, I pray that you use your words to transform us from the inside out, that before we leave this place, you would do something within us that just changes us, that we would live that out to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. All right, so 1 John chapter three, we're just gonna jump into it, and I wanna read the first couple of verses, verse one, see, What great love the Father, keep on this idea of Father, okay? Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that's what we are. Like I can stop there, we can go home. Because that is a big deal. That is why we we are here. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, 
for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Let's stop there. Let's go back to the first word in this, this passage. The first word is what? See. In other words, come to know, to be aware of, to recognize. Here's what John is saying. The first thing that you can do in your Christian faith, the first thing that we need to do is recognize God's great love towards us. I think if we stop there and, and, and just say, maybe that's something you need a reminder of this morning. That you need a reminder of God's great love for you. That you came in here maybe with some baggage. You came in here maybe some feeling some weight on your shoulder. Maybe you just a reminder that God is for you, that God loves you. And that God, reckon, and, and when we recognize God went to great lengths, our Father, to lavish to shower, to even spoil love on us by way of the cross, that we are afforded opportunity to be his children through Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the reminder that we needed this morning. And what I love about this passage is John is saying, and God is saying right here in this verse, that God not only wants us to be, called, be his children, but, but you know another way to phrase that, and I think it's super important, is this is that God wants to be our Father. Now, why is that such a big deal? Why is, why is that a big concept? Because Jesus taught us a lot of things about God in the, in the Gospels. He taught us a lot of things about God, but there's one thing he taught about God that, that is above all the other things that he taught. In fact, 189 times throughout the four Gospels, he referred to God as Father. He referred to God as Father. We think about the core text of the Gospels. And we go to verses like this, whenever the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, teach us how to pray. And what does Jesus say? Pray like this, our Father. So when you talk to God, refer to him as Father. Not just any Father, our Father in heaven. Our heavenly Father. He also said things like this, if you see me, you have seen the Father. Because I and the Father are one. He also said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not your ruler, not your Lord, not even your king, but your Father in heaven. We see this in the triune nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see this relationship started to take shape. We see in the life of Jesus, Jesus teaches us what it looks like to be a child of God. And get this, if God is doing everything he can to allow us to, to see a good picture of what a father-child relationship looks like, what do you think the enemy's goal is? The enemy's goal is to destroy what that relationship looks like, destroy what it, what it could be. In fact, if the enemy can crack up this idea of fatherhood, if the enemy can crack up this idea of fatherhood, then some people may never overcome the impact of an earthly father compared to a heavenly father. That's a big deal. Why John kind of describes him as father here. You see, there are different kinds of earthly fathers, and many of those earthly fathers on this earth could be damaging to our faith journey. Let's just talk about a few of those. The first one is this, an absent father. See, this father is not present, whether through divorce, dysfunction, or disinterest, this, this father is just not in the equation. 
or maybe an abusive father. In fact, this father not only did things not to help us, this father hurt us. This father caused deep scars within us. And maybe that's you, and I'm sorry if that is you. Or maybe there is a performance-based father. This father said, yeah, I'll bless you, but you have to earn the blessing. As long as you meet my standards, then I'll give you a hug. As long as you uh, do what I tell you to do, I'll, get, I'll give you an I love you. But if you didn't, then you get something else. You see, this father, his love is based on what you did or didn't do. That's the performance-based father. And then there is the passive father. This father's in the mix, but really not in the story. He's really not there. And this was modeled probably for him because of his dad. He was just modeling after his dad. Or maybe there is the antagonistic father. He's basically what seems to be not for you. In fact, he's done everything he can to chop you down along the way. But then there is a father that I believe gives us a better picture of what our heavenly father looks like. And this is the empowering father. Empowering father. This father wasn't perfect, but he loved you and you knew it. He let you know it every, over and over again, whether you were doing well or you weren't doing well. He showed you and he proved it. He was dependable. And this father had a unique ability to teach and coach and train and allow you to see your future, your, your potential for your future. That's what this father was capable of. This dad was also not a pushover. He wasn't gonna let you get away with stuff. He was gonna say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you can't do that. In fact, in fact he, this dad says, one day you're gonna thank me for that, right? Like I realized that about my dad. There were some things about my dad that I was so aggravated with him, but then later on I said, dad, thank you for doing that because I needed to hear it. But if we look at that list, some people might look at some of those things on that list and say, if God is like my dad, then I'm not interested. But here's, here's the point. God is the perfect version of our earthly father. Louis Giglio said it best. He said, God is not a simply a reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection of your earthly dad that he fulfills every promise, he's always present. His love goes further than we can ever imagine. I, I love in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 that Jesus um, really talks about the love of a father in a different way. He uses a parable called the parable of the prodigal son. You guys may have heard that story. That, that actually, that word prodigal means this, reckless, wasteful expenditure. You know what the synonym for prodigal is? One of them, lavished. But it's used in a very different way here. You see, Jesus told this story of the prodigal son, of a, of a, a son who, who rejected his family, who took the family inheritance and went and partied. He wasted it, wasted it all on wild living, and he found himself with nothing. And in desperation, he was trying to figure out what to do. I'm hungry. I don't have anything to eat. I was eating pig slop. What do I do? And he thought about his dad back home. He thought about the home where he left, and he realized something. I would rather be a servant of my dad. If it's okay to be a servant of my dad, I'm better off there than here. He doesn't have to call me son. I can just be a servant. And so in desperation, he went back home. And as he was coming back home, 
he thought, man, this is gonna be rough. I'm gonna get rejection, but that's not what he got. He got something that he didn't deserve. In fact, whenever he got close to being home, his father saw him from a distance. You guys know the story. His father saw him from a distance. In an undignified fashion, he hiked up his robe, and that's what they wore. You know, it's not kosher for, for you to see skin, by the way, back then. And so he hikes up his robe and begins to run towards his son. And whenever he got to his boy, he put his arms around him, gave him a hug, kissed his neck, and said, I love you. See, what he thought was gonna be punishment, and what he got was a celebration because his boy was lost, and now he's found. That's lavished. That's what lavish love is, that God lavished more love than the prodigal could waste. God lavished more love than the prodigal could, wait, could, could waste. You know what lavished is? That's the idea of grace, that we receive something that we do not deserve. And that's exactly what our Father in heaven did for humanity through Jesus. We got something that we didn't deserve. He saw our sin and chose to lavish love on us regardless by paving the way for us to know God through the cross of Jesus, to cover our sins. How incredible is that? His desire for us to be his children and for us to call him Father. Then John says this. He said, this is how you should respond to God's great love towards you. Verse five. But you know that when he appeared, that you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one continues to sin has either seen him or known him. In other words, true fellowship with God cannot result in ongoing sinful living without repentance. Not to say that we're not gonna sin, not to say that we're not gonna mess up, but this idea that, that as a follower of Christ, we will experience conviction. And that conviction would lead us to return back to God. That's the idea of conviction. When we feel something that, hey, this is not right. This is not something that I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. That should lead us to return to God and to, to ask for forgiveness and to restore the fellowship that we have with Christ. That's the idea. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church and he wrote about grace. And he said this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, by no means. By no means, in the first six verses of 1 John in this passage, he makes the point that when we see the magnitude of our sin, and when we see the great lengths that God went to, to cover our sin, to be with us, it should change how we live. In other words, not only do we recognize his love towards us, but his love should compel us to live for him. It, it should compel us to live for him, not just through words, but through action. And then what I find is interesting, as John shifts gears here, realizing, look, it's gonna be hard to, to live this Christian life. He gives us a warning. He makes us aware of the dangers in this world. It's not gonna be easy, guys. And he says this, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. And on a day that we're celebrating seniors, graduating seniors in high school, and they're sitting over here, this is, couldn't be more relevant. 
do not let others lead you astray. But this is not just relevant for you, by the way. This is relevant for everybody in the room because we live in the world that says the truth is based on opinion. The truth is based on just feeling. If it feels good to you, then you do that. You do you. But God, who knows us better than we know ourselves, get that. God, who knows us better than we know ourselves, established absolute truths for our direction and our protection. He establishes absolute truths for our direction and our protection. And see, God is serious about what happens to his children. He's serious about it. Just how serious is he? Well, let's go back to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 18. And he talks about his children. He says this, he makes a big declaration. He says, if anyone causes these little ones, those who believe in me, his spiritual children, to stumble, to fall, to fail, to sin, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. In other words, there's an importance of remaining steadfast in faith. And if people mislead or tempt children inside the church or outside the church, there's going to be trouble. This is the most overly protective daddy statement in all of scripture. I I think of it this way. One day, my little girl is gonna bring home some hairy leg, hairy arm, crackly voiced little boy into my home, and we're gonna have this kind of conversation. (laughs) Right, I wanna set my daughter there right to the side, I'm gonna bring this boy, I'm gonna look him in the eye, and I say, if you do anything to hurt my little girl, to cause her to stumble, to to veer her away from where she needs to go, then there's going to be trouble. Let me tell you this, if, if that doesn't reinforce the idea that God is for us, and that God is with us, and that God wants the best for us in, in, in this life, I don't know what will. See, this passage not only gives us a great responsibility um, as believers to ensure that other believers are growing spiritually, it's also our responsibility for protection to guide others. That's a high calling that we have. And as John writes, and as Jesus said, be careful, be watchful, protect others, be an example for how we would live, Guess what? This is especially true for how we model it after the next generation. We've got to do it for the next generation. And we look at this idea, we're celebrating seniors today, which it's a huge mile marker for you guys. I think it's only a reminder that that we are really, we believe the next generation is a priority here at Rolling Hills. That we're celebrating you today and that then because, it, because it's a priority to Jesus, it, it's a priority to us. How do I know it's a priority to Jesus? How do I know the next generation is a priority to Jesus? Well, in Matthew 18, he's talking about all of God's children, all spiritual children, but you turn to Matthew chapter 19, and he gets real specific on the next generation. You see, at this point in time, everybody heard them some things about Jesus, about his power, about his love and compassion, and so obviously parents and other people were like thinking about their, their kids. Like I'm gonna bring my kid to Jesus because I want, I want Jesus to touch them. I want Jesus to bless them. And so that's what they did. All, all droves of children, Jesus, uh, people were bringing people to Jesus. And the disciples got wind of what was going on. They could see it happening and the disciples stepped in and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Like Jesus doesn't have time for this. 
Jesus is too busy doing ministry. Y'all need to go somewhere with your kids because he doesn't have time. And Jesus hears the conversation. And he steps in and he says this to the disciples. He said this, let the little ones, little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Did you hear that? Jesus is making reference specifically to how we lead the next generation. Do not hinder them from coming to Jesus. And as a family pastor, I'm constantly burdened with the responsibility of raising the next generation to know and follow Jesus. And I'm constantly aware of the things that we can do to hinder the next generation from coming to Jesus. Get this, it says that people, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. Notice that it doesn't say parents. I'm, I'm sure a lot of parents were bringing their kids to Jesus, but here's the, here's the point. It's not just for parents to bring kids to Jesus, it's for everybody to bring kids to Jesus. It's for the whole church to bring kids to Jesus, to point them to Jesus, to say, come on, I wanna introduce you to a God that saves, a God that redeems, a God that restores, a God that gives you purpose. It's for the whole church. You see, some of the greatest ministers to children are ones who have never had children in the first place. Among them, Jesus there's something called the 414 window that Bryant Myers of World Vision coined. He said, the majority of Christians come to know Christ between the ages of four and 14. If that doesn't motivate us to capture the hearts of the next generation, I don't know what will. There's lots of prob probabilities of children, uh, people coming to know Christ. And let me just share with you some of those. Two thirds of Christian came, Christians came to faith before the age of 18. 43% came to Christ before the age of 12. Almost half. Less than one-fourth of current believers came to Christ after the age of 21. That's why we have to be intentional about capturing the hearts of the next generation. That's why I believe in kids' ministry and student ministry so much in the life of the church. See, so this past year has been difficult for everybody, has it not? been difficult for adults, parents, my goodness. It's been difficult for the elderly, but it's especially been difficult for the next generation. There's not a week that goes by where I don't have a parent come to me and say, my child is struggling socially, spiritually, and emotionally. Did you know that a counselor came to me a couple weeks ago and said that um, not too long ago, in one weekend and one day, 11 middle schoolers were admitted to uh, Rolling Hills Psychiatric Hospital in one day. This requires action. This requires us to be child champions. We need child champions. Well, what is a child champion? Well, here's what a child champion is. You speak up for the value of raising kids to know Jesus. You raise the bar for the importance of family ministry and volunteering in family ministry in the life of the church. You see, I believe in Rolling Hills Community Church, every person should have their hand in family ministry at some point to help raise the next generation. If it's all of our responsibilities to bring kids to Jesus, 
then we should have a hand in it. Whether that's serving in preschool kids or students, whether that's being an active prayer warrior for our, our kids and our students, we need you to do that. You don't get a pass. You don't get to drop them off and take off. You, we gotta, we, you need to engage. We need generational guardians who are there for kids in their childhood because if we don't, the scariest passage of scripture ever for me is Judges 2.10. And this is what it says. After that whole generation had gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up and knew neither the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. That can't happen on our watch. They knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. We can't let that happen. So I think, well, what can we do to hinder or, or cause the next generation to go astray? See, what I believe is we, sometimes we can intentionally or un, unintentionally do that. See, every child is being led. The question is, is being led by who to pursue what? As a church, we have to create pathways for our kids to know Jesus. There's two ways to do that. The first, I believe, is this. Surround the next generation with a faith community. You see what they need? They need a contagious faith community that, that is falling in love with Jesus together, and they're watching that happen. They, they're watching that happen. You ever heard the phrase, it takes a village? It's truly, that's what it is. We need to help each other and our children know God. No matter how spiritually adequate that you think you are as a parent, you cannot teach your kids about communal faith without the church. By the way, no matter how spiritually adequate you may think you are, you're not enough. You're not enough. Now you are the primary spiritual leader of your home and of your kids. I don't wanna get, get that wrong, but you also need other voices. Kara Powell wrote a book called Sticky Faith, specifically for the, the faith of the next generation. What causes it to be sticky? What causes the faith to be resilient? And a part of it, she says, what the, what the next generation really need is a sticky web. What she says is, is not only do they need their parents, but they need five other adult, adult leaders in their lives that are walking with them on their faith journey. They need a sticky web. That was actually true for me, and maybe I didn't even realize it until later on. I remember whenever I was little in preschool, I had Miss Mary that reminded me that God made me, God loves me, and Jesus wants to be my friend forever. I was in elementary school and I had Mr. Steve and Mr. Doug and Miss Vicki who, who taught me biblical truths, who taught me Bible stories and reminded me of God's goodness. I had in middle school Mr. Leroy and Mr. Uh, Miss Ann who taught me about my identity and taught me that my identity was to be wrapped up in Jesus. I remember in high school, Mr. Mark, who sat knee to knee with me and eye to eye, and he said, God's gonna use you in great ways. And I didn't believe it about myself. I needed those people in my life to remind me we need a sticky web. Number two, we have to set priorities that allow Jesus to be first. What do our priorities tell the next generation? What steals your time the most with the Lord right now? I mean, this is for you. What steals your time with the Lord most right now? Other questions. What does our relationship with God tell the next generation? 
This is a good one. What do we sacrifice spiritually for our child's worldly success? That isn't like. What do we sacrifice spiritually for our child's worldly success? Do your kids know your faith journey? Do you talk about it? And finally, do your kids see you activate your faith through serving? Do they see sacrifice? One of the best ways that we could teach our kids about loving God and loving others is by how we serve. That's why we're opening up a ministry fair today. That's why when you go out of here, just go across the hall. Whether you're, uh, whether you're ready to commit to serving or not, just go, just find out more information about how you can serve in the life of the church because it not only models it for the next generation and our love for God, but it also changes you. That's what we believe here at Rolling Hills. Whenever you serve, whenever you activate your, your faith through serving his church, it really begins to change you. Whenever I... Usually, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of our parents who've, um, who've had a relationship with me, have, have seen me um, teach or speak in certain areas, I usually tell students this too. And maybe high school seniors, you've heard me say this too. Is that we, here at Rolling Hills, we're not interested in graduating nice or good kids. We're interested in graduating kids who are passionate about Jesus. Because if we can get them passionate about Jesus, it changes who they are. They begin to act like Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus. If we can get them to, to respond to Jesus' call on their life, you see, we, we care about what you do. We care about what our kids do, but we care more about who they become. See, we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste. Here, we've adopted kind of an illustration that represents time over the years. And it comes by way of marbles. See, in this jar, there's 936 marbles. And every marble represents a week of life. And what we say is that it's 936 weeks between the time that they are born to the time that they graduate. And the reason why we do it is because, because of Psalm 90, 12. Teach us to number our days so that we gain, gain a heart of wisdom. When we know how much time we have left, we tend to make the most of that time. So 936 weeks, and you get to kin kindergarten, some of you have a kindergarten or two, 678 weeks. And middle school is 365 weeks. And then you get to high school. You get to your freshman year, and it feels like this is going warp speed now. Like, we are losing time really fast. And you get to high school, you're a freshman, there's a little over 200 weeks left um, when you start your freshman year. And then about 20 weeks in, 20 weeks in, they take their first exam. And that's gonna determine their GPA. That's gonna determine whether Harvard or not. It was not for me. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's about week 20, then, then week 50, 50 hits. And you're standing in line at the DMV. You're handing over the keys of the car and your prayer life really begins to take shape. <laughs> and then we get to weeks, 
75-ish, they begin their first job. And you're thinking as a parent, this is gonna save us money, but it really costs you more money. And then you get to week 100. And then that's when they start their junior year and the college visits happen. The proms happen, all the, the school activities, you're, it's warp speed at this point. Then you get to your senior year and oh my goodness, time is just flying by. And then before you know it, they're putting on a cap and gown and walking a line and you've lost all your marbles. <laughs> when you know how much time you have, you tend to make the most of that time. We don't have time to waste with the next generation. So how do you respond? I think you respond in this way. Let's go back to the beginning of 1 John where John writes these words to the early church. He said this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You know what the best thing we can do for the next generation? is show them what it looks like to be a child of God. To be close to Jesus. The best thing that we can do for the next generation is constantly recognize his great love towards us and live it out and respond to that great love. Knowing that we're gonna mess up, knowing that we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna own up to that, but, with, but, it, but his great love should cause us to pursue him more. And you know what the next generation does? They observe. They look. What does that mean for me? That's what they're saying. Does my parents, do the adults in my life have a resilient faith? We wanna build that resilient faith in the next generation. As a church, this is on us to demonstrate to those who are coming behind us to leave a faith legacy. Lots of ways to respond to today's message. If you're not a child of God, maybe it's time to be a child of God and respond to God's loving kindness and how he lavished great love on us through his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross and three days later conquer death and allow us, because he conquered death, affords us the opportunity to have this relationship with God and intimacy with God. Maybe that's you. Or maybe for you it's, man, I, I've been kinda on the sidelines. I put my faith in the Lord. But I'm just kinda here. Maybe it's kinda time to take next steps of faith. Maybe through serving, getting, getting in a community group, being a part of a small group, growing in your faith. Or maybe it's what can you do to invest in the next generation. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good to us. And we acknowledge today that you have lavished your love. You spoiled us with your love. And God, in response to that, we say thank you. God, we know we've messed up. Convict us of the sins in our life and allow us to turn back to you to restore a relationship with you. And God, I'm so thankful that we as a church, we invest in the next generation 
God, we, our prayer is that we would raise young men and women who are passionate about Jesus. We're gonna change the world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and stay up to date on what's happening here, and we can connect with you.